Hi and welcome to our walk through Ephesians. Today I'm going to be looking at chapter one of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. So you might want to grab a Bible so you can read along with me. I'm going to read chapter one all the way through and then go back to the beginning and we can dig in together from there. So here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good purpose, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, 
far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Hallelujah. Wow. How incredible is that? This first chapter is wonderful and contains the full gospel story. So I want to walk through verses 3 to 14, kind of verse by verse, because they're so rich in content. And really, this opening section is a glorious worship song. It's a kind of hymn of praise to God for who he is and what he has done. And you'll notice it's in kind of three stanzas. Um, Starts with looking at the grace of God, moves on to looking at the redemption of God, and then into the inheritance through God. You may also note that we start looking at the Father. We then move on to the Son. And this whole section is finished by looking at the Spirit So the whole work of the Trinity is involved in these opening verses. So let's dig right in. Verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing, not just some spiritual blessings, but all. Every spiritual blessing is ours. We're not shortchanged. There's no half measures. So Paul goes on to unpack some of those, but maybe that's something you would like to just pause for a moment and write down. What are the spiritual blessings that I have in Christ? What a wonderful thing to think about and all of those are for us how wonderful and we're not talking about worldly blessings here Um, we have many blessings in this world but these are spiritual blessings which are far beyond that and the other key thing about this verse is a phrase that you will see repeated in this chapter and throughout ephesians and it's in Christ. The importance of the fact that we are now in Christ. We don't just know about Christ, but in believing in him, we are now in him. We are in Christ. We are now seated in very different places. Who we are is now completely different because we are now in Christ. And that in Christ is a repeated pattern that you'll see throughout this letter. So let's go on. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. 
we were chosen before the creation of the world. God had you in mind from the very beginning. You were chosen before this earth was made. What an extraordinary and wonderful, wonderful thing. And that was his pleasure and his will. So this couple of verses talks about the fact that we're chosen and we're predestined. And the whole thing about predestination has been quite a debate over the years. And I don't want us to get too kind of tied up in all of that. Calvinism, Armenianism. If you wanted to look into that a little bit further, um, David Pawson in his Unlocking the Bible just gives a really helpful summary as to the different views that there are and a perspective on it. But the core thing for us to know is that God is sovereign and God has chosen us. But he also gave us free will. So we have a choice to respond. And even our response, we do that in faith. But faith itself is a gift, is a gift from God. It's not our own ability. God gives us the faith to respond to him. But that gift is something that we need to choose to unpack and use. So yes, God chooses us, but we still can choose whether to respond to that or not. But God is still sovereign. There are those two things that we need to hold intention. But the truth for us here to take hold of is that God wants us. God has chosen us and he's chosen us to be holy and blameless. And that is through the work of Jesus. And that's what this glorious section is all about. We're chosen and we are adopted into his family. So we are part of God's family. God is our father. We are now sons, whether we're male or female. We're sons because we are heirs, heirs to what God has for us. We have all the rights and privileges of a son and heir. And to help us think a little bit more about that, I think it's helpful to look at the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. It's a story that we know well of the younger son who decides he wants his share of the inheritance right away and goes off and squanders it all on reckless living. He finally comes to his senses and comes crawling back to the father. But the father runs to meet him, throws his arms round him and is so delighted that he is home. And in doing that, there are three things that he does, three things that he gives him. He puts a robe around him. He puts a ring on his finger and he puts sandals on his feet. Now, that robe is a real mark of distinction, something of honour. And that is what we wear. We have that mark of distinction. And that robe that we have, the Bible also talks about it being a robe of righteousness. And that righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus that we are clothed in as we come under his blood. 
So we have that robe. The other thing that the father gives him is the ring. Now, the ring would have signified the family. It probably would have had a kind of family emblem in it. And it would have been one that showed him who his family was, who he belonged to. And others could see that too. We also have that sign. We have that seal. And it would have been used as a mark of authority too. Often a signet ring with a specific family seal on was used in letters pressed into wax to show the authority of the sender. We have that family seal upon our lives and with that the authority of Christ. And the final thing were sandals put on his feet. So he would have come barefoot. Now, slaves didn't wear shoes or sandals, but sons did. So that is why sandals would have been put on his feet to show that he was the son in the house, no lot, not in any way a servant or a slave. Hallelujah. So all of this in verse 6, it says, is to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves this is a work of grace we don't earn it there's nothing we can do to deserve it all this as it's as it comes on to say is lavished upon us out of god's generous and loving heart so this first section emphasizes the grace of God and now it comes on to look at the redemption of God. Verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding redemption through the blood now of course to paul's jewish readers this would instantly remind them of their redemption their deliverance through the blood recognized at passover that time where they were delivered from egypt from the hands of pharaoh by the blood of the lamb being put on the doorposts. The angel passed by the houses where there was blood on the doorposts and where there was not, we know that the firstborn son was struck down. So this redemption through blood would have instantly reminded the Jews of Passover. But this is about the blood of Jesus that was shed for us for the forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven. Hallelujah. We are forgiven according, according with the riches of God's grace. That is our story. And of course, the recollection to Passover just shows how everything that happens in the scriptures is part of a bigger story. God's bigger plan for us. It goes on, he made known to us the mystery of his will 
according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God's purpose was always Christ. That was his purpose. And, and in Christ, all things are brought together. It is in Christ that we see this new humanity and all things in heaven and on earth being brought together. The barriers are now broken down. Those barriers between Jew and Gentile are broken down. All of us are included in the purposes of Christ. And it's that unity that is so key. Unity of things in heaven and on earth. So this also speaks of inheritance and goes on to talk about that. And again, for the Jews, inheritance was so key to them. And for them, they would recall Abraham and the promise of the land of descendants, numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the sea shore. That inheritance was so part of uh, their upbringing and what they knew and understood. But in God, of course, it's so, so much more than that. Verse 11 says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Now, Paul is talking to the Jews here. But let's just think, what does it look like to be the praise of his glory? That phrase is repeated in a few lines time, the praise of his glory. We are made to give him praise. In Peter's first letter, he talks about us being a chosen people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that we might declare the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his glorious light. We were made to give him praise and our lives are a praise to God because they show the salvation of Jesus at work within us. How wonderful is that? And verse 13 goes on to say that you also, addressing the Gentiles here, were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit here, and can you see we've moved from Father to Son to Spirit. The Holy Spirit is both a fulfillment of a promise of God, but also a guarantee of a future promise of God, that inheritance which is for all of us who are in Christ. 
he talks about the Holy Spirit being that kind of de deposit in the way that you would put a deposit on something to guarantee that nobody else can take that from you when the fullness of time comes. And that is the promise that we have in Christ. And again, that seal imagery would remind the Jews of Passover, that seal, that sign above the door. But the fulfillment of that is found in Christ and the Holy Spirit is sealed within us as a deposit and also as a fulfillment of a greater promise of the Spirit being poured out on all flesh. We know because of the Spirit within us that our inheritance is guaranteed. So these verses, 3 to 3 through to 14, are a glorious kind of full gospel message. And for me, um, these have always been really, really important. These verses, along with chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 1 to 10, are verses that I would read aloud over myself in very early days of being a Christian and being in leadership and sometimes just being uns unsure or maybe just feeling unworthy. Whenever I had moments like that, I would pick up Ephesians and I would read it aloud over myself. And this is what I would do. I would personalize it over myself. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed Andrea in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose Andrea in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined Andrea to be adopted as his son. You get the point there. That's what I would do. I would get this passage and I would read it out loud and the first 10 verses of chapter 2 as well and proclaim my own name within that, which affirms the truth of who I am because of what God has done for me. And I would encourage anybody to do the same. So in response to this, Paul can't help but pray. And um, he prays a prayer that we all need every day, that we would know him better. That's the start. He then prays that we would know this hope, this inheritance that we have. And then he also prays that we would know the power of God. Now, this is a really key thing when you think about who Paul is writing to. Ephesus was known as a real city of power and of influence. And within Ephesus, there were lots of occult practices. You can read in Acts about Paul's time in Ephesus. We know of the Temple of Diana, Artemis. There's a story about the seven sons of Siva who see Paul casting out demons and decide to have a go themselves, though they have no faith in Christ. And they try and drive out a demon by saying, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, and it doesn't come to a good end. You also read about those who've come to Christ burning scrolls, people who previously practised 
witchcraft a lot of occult things were going on there there were lots of other gods and that was very much part of their culture and Paul is wanting to make the point that God's power is greater God's power is resurrection power God's power is the power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in heavenly places and that he is far above all rule and authority power and dominion every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come Paul is really making the point Jesus is more powerful than anything anyone now anyone who could be anyone who was and anyone who will try to be everything is under his feet he goes on to talk about him being the fullness of him who fills everything in every way there is no need or no room for anything else all we need is Christ so this wonderful passage what we can what can we take away well two words really I want to kind of sum up this chapter identity and idolatry so that first section as I hope I showed really affirms who we are in Christ really affirms what our identity is because of what he has done for us memorize it know it it's glorious scripture and so good to keep rooted in that and then my challenge would be to us about idolatry you know we read about these different gods that they worshipped in the Greek and Roman world, Diana, Artemis, worshipping statues, idols, bits of wood and metal, and it can all seem a bit ridiculous. And I think it can be easy sometimes to just think, oh gosh, well, I don't do any of that. But actually, an idol is anything that we put our trust in, anything that we look to other than God. And we may not bow down to bits of wood or go to temples with statues in, but we can put our hope in things other than God. We can rely on our, our savings, our jobs, our pensions. We can put our hope in those. We can put hope in doctors above Christ. That's the kind of idolatry, I think, that threatens us now we can put our security into things that are just of this world not things of God so maybe that's something we might want to think about I think it's far more subtle in these times what are we giving power to what are we putting trust in in our lives our lives need to be founded upon Christ who we are in Christ the fullness of him who fills everything in every way so that is chapter one of Ephesians see you next time